Shimai, before we get started, please be aware that this podcast was recorded via Skype, obviously in the current conditions of social distancing, and so the audio quality is obviously not as good as studio quality, so please bear that in mind when listening to this. However, I'm sure you will find it listenable and, in fact, interesting. My sponsors for this podcast are Rugby for Heroes, a not-for-profit organisation who raise money for military charities. The way they raise money is by organising events such as beer and gin festivals, rugby events, uh, supper clubs, to name but a few. Since their inception over 10 years ago, they have raised over £110,000 or around about £110,000, I should say. I think it's nearing that mark or it's not just over. Apologies, Mike, for forgetting the exact figure. Uh, Mike is one of the founding members of Rugby Heroes and is one of the key drivers behind the events that get organised. Rugby Heroes have got a load of events lined up this year. There should have been one happening uh, just last night, but obviously with the COVID-19 pandemic, things have been pushed to the right. So it doesn't mean they're not happening. It doesn't mean that you can't be a part of them. So you need to keep the tab on what Rugby Heroes are doing online, their social media and on their website. So you can do that by going on social media at Rugby for Heroes. It's rugby number four. Heroes, um, and this their website is rugbyforheroes.org. Thank you to Mike and everybody else at Rugby Heroes. You did an amazing job. Thanks for sponsoring the podcast. Also sponsoring the podcast today are Westway Nissan. Westway Nissan are the UK's largest Nissan dealership. They've got strong military ties through their ex-military managing director, Tony Lewis, and uh, they show this and demonstrate this through a number of ways. The most the, long, the most obvious way through the 20% offer of up to a 20% discount for purchase of new or used vehicles with West Nissan. If you are serving military or if you are ex-military, you can get up to a 20% discount from West Nissan. So if you're, if you're looking for a wagon, new wagon, go to Westway. When they open their dealerships back up, they're closed down, mostly closed down at the minute for COVID-19. When they do back, open back up, get back into them and, and, and get your vehicle from them. Um, they'll do you a good deal and it's a, just a, a great organisation to, to connect with, to be honest. Uh, they are doing their bit for COVID-19. They're supporting uh, health workers and other critical workers and it's at this time with um, offers and discounts and even some free services, free yeah, I don't mean free services via car. I don't think they're offering that. I'm not sure. But free free services with Westway that they've got detail on the website. They've also provided for free two uh, two vehicles to Team Rubicon UK who are gearing up to support the government uh, throughout the UK and supporting local communities and towns and cities. So again, thank you to Westway Nissan. Thank you to all of you, not just the MD. You're doing amazing work, and uh, I'll see you on the other side of this craziness. Westway Nissan on social media and westwaynissan.co.uk for their website. On to my guest today, Ebola Ian. He is known as, his real name is Ian Hancock. I met Ian through Team Rubicon UK last year um, and uh, shared a car journey with him on the way to Heathrow. He was taking me to Heathrow. Um, volunteering to, to drive me there as I was deploying to Mozambique with Team Rubicon. And that car journey was one of the most <laughs> fascinating, interesting, unexpected car journeys I've ever had, actually. And I'm sure many people can echo the same sentiment who've, who've ever met or spoken to Ian. So Ian's background, uh, he 
is a microbiologist, a virologist, and an expert in infection control. He started working with the Ministry of Defence in the early 80s on those uh, areas, and he now lectures in a university in London in, in infection control. So we spent our time on this podcast talking about infection control, viruses, COVID-19. And it was really good to speak to someone on a, uh, in a in a conversational capacity, an expert, if you will, in a conversational capacity, um, and not uh, and not in sort of a, a five minute, ten minute interview you get in the TV capacity. I could ask what I want to ask, and was sure I would get answers with it. And it was a um, a really good conversation. A knowledgeable guy. I hope that it goes some way to um, give you some more knowledge on the situation at the moment, and some of the conversation is actually quite reassuring um, i think and all of it i think is important so without further ado this is the hr podcast with ebola ian it mate i think uh i think for the benefit of, in fact i think people have got a lot of time at the moment with what's going on both people working from home with the unfortunate circumstances but um by way of a bit of background with yourself and what you do and what you've done explain to me where the the nickname uh, ebola ian came from i think it was from tr uh three or four years ago i team rubicon Team Rubicon, um, where we met. Uh, it was it was a nickname that the management sort of brought together because I, I just finished my second tour in in Sierra Leone with the Ebola crisis. And I'm a infection control specialist, a microbiologist, virologist, and, I, and I that's what you're doing. And that's what I do at the moment. I'm uh, a lecturer in infection control. London Metropolitan University in Holloway. Ah, how did you how did you end up getting into infection control and virology? Did you? I, I started in the MOD in the eighties. Ah, right, that long ago. Yeah, I'm, I, I know I only look twenty one, but uh, I've been around a long time. <laughs> so um, you talked about Sierra Leone. Was it specifically infection control you're doing? Was that during that those massive that massive Ebola outbreak? Yes. Um, I, I was lab manager for the surveillance and diagnostics of the different illnesses that were there. It wasn't just Ebola. They had um, massive rates of dengue and malaria, yellow fever. So I was running the, the diagnostics lab, basically. Right, okay. Okay, and you did two tours there? Say again? You did, you did two stints there, two tours there? Two, two tours, yeah. Yeah. Um... <coughs> So one of the things that's become apparent to me with COVID is I didn't know uh, with, with the coronavirus. There's actually a bunch of different things that, that, are, that are the same sort of family. So you got we we referred to COVID nineteen as COVID nineteen, but then you got MERS, MERS, uh, MERS, SARS is the same, is it not? Yeah. Are they all the same family as the flu as well? No, they're they're distinct to the flu. They're they're the a family of RNA viruses, the coronaviruses, 
more, the, all the cold viruses, there's thousands of them around, are, are these RNA viruses. Every now and again, a, a pathogenic type comes around, SARS and coronavirus now. Um, it, it, it's just something that nature throws at us every now and again. Yeah. So when you say RNA, what does RNA, what does RNA uh, Ribonucleic acid. It's a different nuclear material than DNA. Our cells have a DNA well, uh, computer memory. The viruses can be either DNA double-stranded, single-stranded, or RNA double-stranded, single-stranded. They, they have different nuclear material, different different memories in them, different hard drives. I'll, I'll refer to computers because uh, you're computer specialist. Uh, the RNA viruses are, are tricky in that they don't proofread the information in the in the nuclear material, so that you get high rates of mutation. When I started with the Ebola, and on my first tour, there was a, there was a single strain of Ebola. But by the end of the tours, there were six strains of Ebola because of mutations. And we could, we, with this coronavirus, I, I would be surprised if there aren't uh, many mutations now, which could make the virus worse, could make it less virulent, but could make it worse. Oh, it could make it less virulent. I mean, when we were talking yesterday, you mentioned that. You seem you you seem to think that it's probably some mutations going on already, and you reference the fact that initially people were thinking that and I say people, I mean generally the general public were thinking that, and the majority of people it affects in in the worst way, as in uh, the mortality rate is old people, but now it seems to be climbing down the age groups, which you were yeah. saying that may indicate a, a mutation. Yes, there's. A few percent now, um, under forties, no underlying health conditions, and they're they're going to hospitals now with the you know full blown COVID respiratory distress. Uh, that 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 could be a mutation, yeah. Because beforehand, what? Sorry. Beforehand, it did seem to be the the old with underlying health conditions, but now there's just a just a, a, a smaller percentage of the susceptibles group uh, do seem to be uh, fitter and stronger than us, which is which is a bit worrying. What causes the mutations? Yeah. Um, technically, the DNA enzymes they they manufacture new DNA enzymes going forward, but they proofread going backwards. There's, there's no proofreading mechanism in the RNA enzymes. So that it's just a manufacturing issue. They, they don't proofread. But if you think of point mutations as being evolution and survival of the fittest, etc., it, it's something that nature does. It's, it's there. It just happens continuously. Uh, but m- more so in RNA. So I, I would expect to have a few mutations. So the mutations are basically a function of survival is what it's doing. It could be. Um, it's it's just it's just nature. Yeah. And one in a thousand or so mutations might be useful to it to, to survive a bit longer. Uh nine hundred and ninety nine would be useless. But like I say, the fittest carry on. Yeah. Compared to um uh MERS, 
and and SARS. What? How does this virus stack up, or this strain of it stack up um, against those in terms of early um, early uh, contagion, early mortality rates? How how dangerous is it compared to MERS and SARS? Because I remember those being around. Yeah. Some people who are listening to this won't remember those being around. Yeah. I remember those being. They, they were more isolated. This coronavirus seems to have gone worldwide quite quickly. And there's a couple of reasons I think this could, could be occurring. Uh, high, high levels of asymptomatic carriers. Um, many, many people have it without any symptoms whatsoever. And so they, they, they shed it in the, any sneezes, any droplets, or just, just speech droplets, um, spittle, whatever. Um, Commonly, if it gets on your hands, door handles, or mites, there's there's lots of evidence out there that it could be transferred uh, when people don't wash their hands again by the fecal, what's known as the fecal oral route, which isn't a very nice way of saying it. But if people go to the bathroom, don't wash their hands, ends up on door handles that way. But again, hand washing is absolutely key for all the different routes of transmission. Airborne is really difficult to control, hence the two, three metres away from somebody in staying at home. But the, the hand of hygiene is, is something that people have got to regiment into their daily lives now. But for, for this virus and for others, you know, it, you should keep your hands as clean as you can. See, one of the things I, I, I thought I understood about, about this virus was that I heard this from, on, a, on another podcast actually, when I listened to another virologist. And, and he's saying that specifically for COVID-19, that the, the hand washing, the face touching, um, was really, didn't really have any, doesn't really have any effect on controlling the spread of it. It is vitally important, especially the, the hygiene is vitally important for other viruses. But for the COVID-19, he's saying that it's not the case. And I think he said it's because early on, they thought there were some receptors around the eyes that if you if the receptors came into contact with the virus in your hands, then you could you could uh, contract it that way. Um, I, but so my understanding is it was purely airborne. But that doesn't seem to be the case, does it? No, if you touch your lips and you've got COVID billions on your hands, it gets into your mouth, respiratory tract, digestive tract. So it, it's it's to avoid the face at all counts. Really, you try and find it hard to do. <laughs> it's, it's difficult, yeah. Um, Incredibly difficult. Yeah. The, the um, you were talking about. Um, you mentioned asymptomatic carriers. So can you just explain what asymptomatic carriers are? It's somebody who has the virus but has no symptoms at all, no no cold symptoms uh, in any way whatsoever. So they they just go around normal life, go to work, they'll give it to everyone go home, just carry on. Um, equivalent to Typhoid Mary, a modern Typhoid Mary, but it, she, she was a, a cook a hundred years plus ago that had the typhoid and she was working as a cook, uh, infected thousands of people. She got caught in the end by the authorities, put in prison for a while. Uh, they let her go when she promised never to be a cook again, but then she did a runner and she started cooking again and infected more and more thousands of people. So that's the same, that's the classic asymptomatic carrier. Yeah. 
when, when you don't know you've got it, you can't isolate yourself away. You don't protect others because you, you have no idea. Um, you're probably a bit more flippant with the with the measures as well. Like, I mean, look what the government have brought in now. You're probably a bit more flippant with, with um, adhering to them if you think you're well. Definitely, but knowing that you could be, I mean, it's, it's a bit of an eye opener for me after the conversation yesterday, you know, um, that I could be carrying it. I'm not sure any symptoms whatsoever. You're, you're so fit, you're, you're unlikely to show any symptoms. It's the vulnerables that show the symptoms. Um, but I'm saying that, that, like I said, there's a few percent now that for some reason it's, it's taken up at people, uh, minor population of the, susceptible but it, it, it's it's um tricky yeah with the with the with the likely in fact was it that 85 they, they suspect that up to 85 percent of the country could be could be carrying and yes 85, that's a huge number but that's yes. quite speculative by the scientists right it's, it's sort it, of a worst case scenario it, there's a shortage of diagnostic kits at the moment um, the the government on the news I saw last night the government has ordered about four million, which is but it goes to the frontline doctors and medical staff first to make sure that, that they're used correctly. Uh, prisons get first pick, but imagine if you just grabbed a, a street full of people, you know, just and you tested the whole street. Um, People who've had it, people who haven't had it, um, you'd look at antibodies in the blood, and if you get a percentage of the people who've had the COVID-19 without showing any symptoms, you know, the people who didn't know they had it, uh, but because there is no diagnostic kits available at the moment to the surveillance, current surveillance, uh, there's, there's, um, patchy information for the medics to work from. Uh, so they look for antibodies in the blood, but then there is no spare kits at the moment. Frontline staff are lacking of basic yeah. basics like face shields and diagnostic kits. Yeah, I I personally like to know if I've had it already, so I can uh, look after my elderly mother again. But at the moment, I've got a self isolating press the government has imposed. The 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 asymptomatic side of things is also potentially a positive side. I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because if we're saying that there's probably a much larger percentage of people in the population that are carrying or have contracted it and, and been through the virus already without even knowing, then that would mean that the, the mortality rate is actually less than what we know much now, less, correct? Much less, yeah. It's, it's, it's no comparison to Ebola, uh, 90% death rate to personality. This is, this is, then, this is low. Because then so many I suppose, people have it asymptomatically. Yeah, then I suppose then it, the, the 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 critical measures that are being implemented now in the UK, I think, is that because then if the mortality rate is so low compared to other things, is that because of two factors then? The 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 R0 factor, which is the rate of how many a, a person is carrying um, yeah. pass it on to other people, but also that they don't know how it's going to mutate. So the mutations could be far worse, is that correct? Yeah, the mutations could make it worse. But don't forget, it's infecting a lot of people, so there are a lot of casualties as well. You know, and even one even one illness is a tragedy. So they're trying to limit the amount. Uh, the, R, the R value for coronavirus, 
the max of it is about three at the moment. So they try to minimise that to flatten the peak so that the, the health system can cope with the amount of ill people with the COVID-19 on, on respiratory distress. There's not enough respirators in the, ho- in the hospitals. So they're trying to flatten the curve out so that the, the hospitals can cope and, and treat people correctly. Um, but the, the good thing about COVID-19, it's effectively a free vaccine. So if you get it, you, you, you'll have the antibodies against it. And the, the chance of catching it the second time is, is mathematically so remote. It actually reduces the number of susceptibles, the more people it infects. And it's, it's effectively a free vaccine program. So, so it, it's... The, they need the diagnostic kits to do accurate surveillance, so everything's speculation. Um, but there's a worldwide demand for the diagnostic kits and all the PPE now, so we're, we're fighting in the global market. So the best measures, you have to be real, the best measures are what's available to you, and hence isolation at home is the best measures at the moment. Yeah, I think one of the other things to bear in mind is with this, is that not for you and I, obviously, <coughs> well, yeah, but for, for other people, is that, is, is the impact, the NHS impact. So people, have, like, we've seen, you focus it on, seems to be in people's minds that, um, you know, it's the, it's the, oh, the, the, the crisis and the mortality and the impact on the general public is because of COVID-19 and there's going to be too many COVID-19 in, in their hospitals. There's not enough stuff to look after them, so loads of them will die. It's, it's going to be a box. It's not, not it's not just that though either, is it? Because the NHS is already full of people who've got all the other illnesses that they care for. So when the system gets flooded, it floods it with all the COVID-19 patients and then all the other people who've all got, they're all impacted as well. So, you know, you see more people dying from illnesses that you wouldn't necessarily die yeah. from. There's been 10 years of austerity measures throughout the UK now. Um, and the NHS has struggled financially prior to any extras. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, a classic hospital now would have 10 doctors with COVID-19 on treating patients without full face masks. So there's, there's also a decrease in capacity at the same time as an increase in demand. So there's, there's a bottleneck. So this self-isolation is, is, uh, is the only, uh, realistic way forward to try and, in, in a, to try and treat everyone correctly. So, are these are the the measures that we implement at the minute? Are these are these? I don't know. Have you seen these implemented before elsewhere? Um, Successfully. Yeah, Wuhan. Now they they've got a drop in cases, and they've off they've um, said that seventh of April they will be uh, removing the lockdown, which is excellent news. Just in Wuhan or all of China? Just the Wuhan province. But when Wuhan province lockdown is finished, workers will be able to go back to Wuhan and go to China. So effectively China. When the lockdown is removed, the lockdown is removed. They, um, that's a success. And it's taken a few months, but it's a success. So how far behind, how far ahead of us are Wuhan in terms of weeks, months, time, time, time for the point? I would say about six weeks, two months. Right, okay. Okay, and, and so, all right, yeah. And so, assuming that we were able to perform as well as they did in terms of the lockdown and prevent the spread of the virus, then we're looking at six, have, six weeks, two months. Yeah, months. we have more knowledge now. Um, 
that the, the, the Chinese virology medical teams have, have disseminated uh, so much information from their experience that we have more knowledge. Um, we have uh, organised purchase of materials and extra staff for this and that. It's all a guesstimate because with, with mutations anything can happen and things can change and there might be two or three viruses soon that we have to deal with, not just the one uh, coronavirus. But I, I as a guesstimate, I, I, I thought I'd be uh, back at work uh, on June. June is just, I just thought June, even okay. at the beginning. You, don't, you do need people to self-isolate and not do anything back mind. We don't need many typhoid Marys around. <laughs> you just need Ebola Ians. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I was just... In the future, do you see that... Would there need to be a vaccine programme for this in the future then? No. Yes, uh, I, I fully expect a vaccine programme within the year 18 months, but they have to fully test vaccines before they're given to the population um, because we could have an, another incident like lidomides you have to test things before you give them out thoroughly. What, what happened with that? Oh, in America? Lidomide was a teratogenic it was, it was optical isomers there was, there was two two chemicals left and right handed in a in a, in a a drug that was a wonder drug uh, it wasn't fully tested and it, it tragic in the amount of birth defects and problems it caused um, nothing like that well, hopefully it'll never happen again but they're thoroughly testing now which is this length of time for the vaccine but there's other treatments that's becoming available that's currently used for other illnesses so the treatments are there's about four in the pipeline that showed a little bit of activity um, obviously at the start the information on the internet, etc., is quite contradictory, but I, I think there's about four that have a bit of activity, which will help any coronavirus sufferers, and, and they don't have to go through this um, check-in period because they, they've already been used, you know, they've already been checked out, and they, they, can, uh, be, they can be prescribed tomorrow. Okay, it's quite handy. So, on a personal level, again. Um, at this moment in time, apart, I mean, we know that being generally fit and healthy, you're, you're less likely to um, to not contract the virus. You're less likely to be significantly impacted by it. Yeah. And at the moment, um, being of a sort of average age or young, you're less likely to contract, yeah. being negative, badly impacted by it. Aside from like those things that you can't really control because it's time, right? Time yeah. on the planet. Is there anything that, and aside from the, what, the hygiene side and staying inside? Yeah. Is there, um, is there anything else that people can do to, uh, to reduce the chance of them being badly impacted by it if they contract it? The, I, I think the high rates in Spain and, and Italy could be possibly due to high rates of smoking in the countries. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, when you smoke, you you uh, damage your epithelial lining of your lungs, and you have you have um, 
villi, they're like finger-like projections on the cells that, that waft debris and clean your lungs out and get to the back of your throat so you can either spit it out or swallow it. But the heavy smokers, they, they lose these villi and uh, that could be that could be significant. Obviously, full statistical teams of scientists would have to look into that, but this is a case where smoking isn't a good one. Yeah, well, I wonder why they're not saying that on the... Why is the it's government not, saying that? It's scaremongering. And, and also, you can't, it's not realistic to change it, because if someone's been smoking already, it, that's, it takes a while for that to recover, so it's not real. Uh, you can't you can't just say stop smoking. Because uh, it, won't, it won't have an immediate impact on the healthy lungs. Yeah, it takes a little while. It, it does it does improve people's health. And it's not in the literature, it's just... I, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, why is it so high in Italy and Spain? And if countries have high smoke and um, lung damage, that smoking does damage your lungs, everyone knows that. It's China as well, high, high, high smoking. Oh, yeah. High smoking, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I mean, the, the moral of the story there is uh, stop smoking now anyway, in case it's something else in the future that does the same thing. <laughs> it's probably the most unhealthy thing people do. You, you yeah. can almost guarantee it's causing problems for people. You know, it's it's a no-brainer. It's 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 so obvious. People don't think about it. Mm. It's so expensive yeah. these days as well. Um, but the, the tax from the cigarettes effectively pay for the NHS, so it's a difficult thing to stop. You know, the government can't stop it. Yeah, I suppose anything compromising your immune system, like um, I don't know, I mean, we're in, we're in, yeah, we've got self-isolation going on, social distancing, and, and a lot of people won't be used to doing it. <clears throat> I, I, don't know, I mean, I would, especially living on your own, some people got still crazy. I can just imagine people are just sitting there getting getting. Drunk as skunks all day, all night, every day as a drunk, which would compromise your immune system. That can't be healthy. I mean, that can't be healthy anyway. But it, it is really difficult, and it comes on to. But we were chatting yesterday about it, weren't we? Um, we were chatting yesterday about the government measures being put in place, and talking about still being allowed to go outside, and do fitness. You know, uh, one, you know, one activity a day, go to the shop. It is absolutely critical. And we were talking about. The, the the mental health impact if that wasn't possible. Um, and I think people, if those if that wasn't the case at the moment, again, people would go still crazy in the houses. And I think people would be if it was absolutely not allowed outside not allowed outside your house, flat full stop and it was some sort of food delivery system like this. You know, I think with people going crazy in houses, they would be more prone to breaking the rules and just going and visiting people at the list office to go out. No, I, know, I think it'd be worse. Um, Stress yeah. does make things worse. Yeah, everything is is made worse with stress. Yeah. What else did you want to What else did you want to bring up? Um, I've covered a lot of it. I I uh, without wanting to. To seem pessimistic, there's um good side of this is that community resilience training. Everyone's getting used to washing their hands, uh, hopefully adhering to government advice and 
self-isolation, etc. Because this isn't the big one. This this one is is a relatively small one. The microbiologists and virologists have been have been uh, worried for many many decades now about a new pandemic flu. You you probably read about the 1918 flu. It's called the Spanish flu after the First World War. Killed 30 to 50 million people. How many? 30 to 50 million people worldwide. It killed more. It it, it killed more than in the First World War, which was, as you know, carnage. That was the worst one. Um, There's a smaller one in 52, and we expect them every 30 years, but we haven't had anything for since 52. The swine flu was the, the a repeat of the 1918 pandemic. But because it, it had been in the public domain, it, it, it had, didn't have the effect. It was second time round and people had resistance against it. But, uh, with nature, they will be throwing things at us. So, infections have now taken over as the biggest killer of humans. It was, it was cancer up until a little while ago. Before that, it was heart disease. But infections now have taken over and particularly with the pandemic flu, this community resilience training and the, all this practice that people are getting will be extremely useful. Because it, it, is, it is way overdue for a, for a big one, which could kill another 30 to 50 million people. And the government's got to do a little bit of preparedness training. And uh, they, they're learning from this one, the, the PPE that's required and the, the levels that are required. And so there's... That's the silver lining to this one. Yeah, I see. I see. I mean, if if that's the case, I, I would have. Then why haven't why hasn't there been some preparation going on for the big one already? And because if it was, then I would have thought that we'd have enough we'd have enough um, kit equipment, diagnostics kits, ventilators, and all that to deal with the current situation. Or is it just the case? They do with the. For the pandemic flus, they do a flu vaccine every year, and they they guess the best uh, vaccine. But they so they are doing preparedness for the flu vaccines, like um, yeah. and they they've yeah. got treatments available, Tamiflu's, etc. So they they have been, but they, I think they have to widen the scope of it. And I, I think ten years of austerity measures the hospitals have to be reversed. Yeah, um, the, uh, the, yeah. The, the kit available. But any pandemic just isn't there. Yeah. So going back to infections being the biggest killer now overtaking cancer. Any particular any particular one out stands apart from COVID nineteen at the moment, which isn't one of the biggest killers, it's just the worry. It's um well winter flu kills a lot of old age pensions, etc. You know, the but the it's the it's general septicemia bacteria now because the antibiotics aren't working as well as they used to. We need to do a bit more development and a bit more effort into antibiotics again. Uh, to, it's, 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 it's throughout the board that infections are taking over. Yeah. Um, just popped in my head there. One of the other things that I heard, I've not, I've not seen it anywhere on the news. I don't think I have. There's something about washing your clothes relative to COVID-19. So, obviously, your, your own personal hygiene. And then washing your clothes more regularly? There's, 
normal surfaces, clothes, tabletops, etc., they say the virus will last for about 14 hours, 16 hours maximum. But I've heard on the grapevine, I have no evidence of this, but I've heard on the grapevine that on certain metallic surfaces, like handles and kitchen surfaces at steel, for example, that it can survive for up to nine days, which is another, which is another unusual thing that people should be aware of. Yeah, I think it's in places where there's, where the, where the, where the environment changes very rarely. So like a, a hotel, so people stay in a hotel, it doesn't get cleaned properly, and it doesn't get used there for four, five, six days, and it stays in there. Um, and I, I might be completely wrong, but it's, it's my understanding of it, but there's very little temperature fluctuation, there's very little in the air, there's very little fluctuation in the humidity, um, and the, and the barometric pressure. Uh, yeah. that, that was my understanding of it. I mean, the, the moral story is clean everything flipping down, right? Yeah, the, the virus is like a certain temperature range, a uh, certain humidity range. Out of the range, they're not so comfortable. They won't last as long. But the coronavirus, uh, outside the body, no, it's a variant outside the body, a virus inside the body. They, they, they don't like, uh, heat. So above 27 degrees, they normally denature quite quickly. Outside, uh, UV light is very effective against them. Um, but I think on normal surfaces, it's 12 or 14 hours. So if, if you... If I, if I, I'm going to do some shopping today. I'm going to leave my non-essentials just in the bag for a day, and then I'll, I'll put them out then. So all the virus on the surface will denature before I can... Uh, in, yeah, in yeah. the cupboards, bring it back into circulation. Uh, but if it blasts on metal surfaces for nine days, literally you've got to disinfect the surface of most most tins, etc. So that is unusual. Uh, I'm, I'm used to viruses lasting literally minutes or, or half an hour outside the body. But this is that's unusual. Nine days. What, where, do you think it, what, where do you think that's come from? What do you think? made it last that long compared to other viruses? It's very unusual. I in back in back in my history we used to make uh enzymes, we used to turn them into crystals for these so they were very strong. And there must be something about the metal structure in the virus that crystallizes it and makes it stronger. Uh, I don't know how it's working. I I I I've I've known it to happen to proteins. We used to do it to Interesting. Um, right, we'll, we'll start wrapping it up. I, I appreciate your time. Is there anything else, um, just anything else you want to mention before we knock on the head? We, we covered, we covered most things then. What do you think the outlook is? What do you think the outlook is for the UK at the moment? And, and take into account the way some people are flaunting the, the social distancing, self-isolation measures. Most people are following it, mind, but I'm yeah. constantly seeing online that send nutters. I mean, there was, a, there was a barbecue yesterday in Coventry. There was a bunch of people on a barbecue, right, in the back of some garages. Ah, mental. Like 20, 30 feet, kids and everything. What are you doing? Crazy. I mean, what, what do you think the outlook is at the moment? Do you think you, and again, this is purely speculative. I'm not asking to give, you know, like, <laughs> a, 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 a definite, uh, outlook, but, Gut feeling. Yeah, everything's a guess, and that's because of mutations and the potential to change. But I, I think, I think the measures are 
omniscient and realistic. Um, I think I think there's in communities there's self-policing. And you think our measures are realistic? Yeah, I think that people are doing it. London's never been this quiet. I, you know, it's, it's lovely the quietness in the street. Yeah, um, I, 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 I fully expect to be back at work in June. Yes, that's long. That's a long way off from what I was expecting. It's it's two months away. Yeah, true. Two months away. Yeah. You, if you've got it's the end of March now. Yeah, true. Time, that's eight weeks. That's good. That's less than China. Do you think we'll get to the point that the NHS is completely overwhelmed? It's close. It's close. Because the, a lot of the doctors are ill now. But when they come back, they've effectively had the free vaccine against the COVID-19, so they'll all catch it. It's very contagious. Uh, but once you've had it, you won't be able to pass it on. So it's perfect. It's like an early vaccine for the medics. As long so, as you, so the majority of those doctors in the NHS are working now, they're, they're probably going to catch it. Yeah, I, I imagine half of them had it already and the other half will have it soon. Yeah. And then they'll, back, then they'll be back at work. It'll, it, 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 it's, it's the nature of the, of the virology. Mm. They may have thought they're doing all the more amazing, right? Especially when you think all, all the people have just volunteered to go they are, they are they are taking a risk, a small risk. Because it, it, it does one or two fitments in a in a an unusual way makes them quite ill. Yeah. Lucky for the medical staff to be there. And yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful for for the supermarket shelf stackers and all the you know the all the all the people are still risking their their own health and their family's health by making sure that we're okay. They're, they're, was, the, they're the, the heroes of this one. I was thinking this yesterday. You know, the NHS absolutely deserve a, a huge amount of praise. All doing is amazing. But I, I went out to get my essentials yesterday, and it's the same thing down the road. And, and, and there, was, there was people in there stuck my shelves for flipping neck. They they put themselves adjusting much exposure. They're in a the supermarket all day. Thousands of people going in. Petrol garages. Same thing, petrol garages, same thing, people there, hundreds of people coming in a day, depending on the artist. Um, they're the brave ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. Um, pleasure hearing from your knowledge. Obviously, the, the topic is not pleasurable. Um, if I forget the time, um, you're not on social media or anything, are you? I, I do Facebook. Oh dear, yeah. okay, I'm just thinking, because normally I point people to where they can find you and, and just connect me a bit. They'll find you on Facebook if they want to. Anything you want to, any, anything you want to give a shout to? Um, Apart from the NHS. Team Rubicon. Yeah, they're, they're working hard with the government now to see how they can help. Uh, but obviously the main help for the government is to everyone staying inside at the moment. But when, when the diagnostic kits become available and people can be checked as already had it and they're safe to go to, to the community, I'm sure they'll, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll get involved as, as quick as possible. But yeah, obviously, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying their hardest to help, but obviously the government have to give them the directions. Absolutely. I've been cracking. Thank you very much. Have a nice one. You too, bud. Bye. Bye, bud. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
That's it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Another shout out to my sponsors, um, Westway Nissan, up to 20% discount off purchases if you are ex-military or servant personnel. Um, please give them a, a follow on social media. They're doing good things at the moment for the UK, for local communities, for local towns and cities and health workers. And they're trying to help people get through, as are many other organisations. Westwood Nissan are, are trying to do their bit as much as they can. Westwood Nissan on social media, westwoodnissan.co.uk for their website. Also, thank you to Rugby Heroes, another organisation associated with the podcast, who are also trying to do as much as they can to support the UK and support people struggling at this time. Rugby Heroes um, will have events coming on in, later in the year when all this blows over, so please come along to one of their events. Keep a tab on the events on Rugby Number Four Heroes on social media, so at Rugby Four Heroes. That's it. Thank you to those guys. Please stay safe. Please listen to the government guidelines. Stay indoors uh, unless absolutely necessary to go outside. And when you do go outside, stay away from people. It is not worth it. You stay in, if you social distance, the chances of you uh, contracting coronavirus are virtually zero. As soon as you stop following the government rules, that probability starts going up. Why risk it, people? That is it. Until the next time, out.